Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Long time no talk. I know. Here we are, back at it. Back at it. Fresh off the holidays. Yeah. Coming up on 200 episodes, yeah? We are. We're on, this is 197, so hey, just in a couple of weeks. Nice. That's a lot of recording. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Jeez. About 100 hours-ish, if we did about an average of half an hour per. That's, that's many hours. That's probably longer than I've talked to most people in my life. Probably. Same. Yeah. Uh, You've got to be in the top, like 5% or something. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Winning. <laughs> <laughs> and you almost declined. <laughs> I know. I know. Isn't that crazy? So I've been uh, doing reference checks today. Mm, okay. Part of your uh, HR duties? Uh, yeah, my, my hiring duties. Won't say for whom or what yet. I haven't done reference checks before, but so this is like kind of a new experiment. I've been reading the book Who, which is, I think, the worst title for a book ever. <laughs> yeah. What's the book called? It's called Who. Wait, Who what? Exactly. <laughs> I think the official title is Who colon the A method for hiring. Okay. But like if you look at the cover of the book, it just says Who. Anyway. <laughs> so it's, we're, we're trying out their, their system and they, they recommend reference checks. So we're, gonna, we're giving it a shot. Nice. Are the references checking out so far? I've only done one and it was so positive. It was like, I don't know if this was even worth the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would assume most reference checks are like. Um, that's <laughs> yeah i think it's kind of like a detective thing where it's like you know the like you're fighting an uphill battle to get useful information out of them so you have to kind of do some reading between the lines or asking clever questions or things like that what are you primarily trying to learn like are you trying to get some insights about how they work or what their some of their deficiencies are or are you trying to like screen to see if you should like cancel the hiring process altogether on them or a little of both yeah, it's it's kind of just like corroborate your your vision so far, just like you're building this picture of like the person and their competencies and and whatnot, and it's like you're looking for evidence that 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 stuff is true and and not just manufactured. And also, yeah, screen for red flags. But I, I feel like you'd have to be like kind of a real a real idiot to like provide a reference that was going to blow up your mm-hmm. your potential entirely. <laughs> right, right. Um, you'd be like real real out of touch with how people felt about you. My assumption is like these mostly don't uncover much, but like maybe every once in a while save you from something. It's a good rigorous thing to have as part of the process. Like doesn't take that much time and might, you know, might save you. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see if we, we keep doing them. They, they do recommend finding your own references for the person. Like you ask them for a few, but then you kind of do some digging and see like, can you through your own network come up with other people that, that know or have worked with this person? Yeah. But then you have to be really careful, right? You don't want to tip their hand if they're looking looking around. So, right, careful dance. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but who knows? That might turn into a, a new thing to announce, which would be cool. Hmm. Yeah. Hiring like crazy over there at Tuple. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Hiring has been my life for weeks now, maybe months now actually, and it's uh, yeah, it's getting old. <laughs> but hopefully, I'll get one more box checked, which would be awesome. I'm pushing more of that onto Stephen now. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing a little like work soul searching and like thinking about what my work life looks like and things like that. And I think I'm getting a clear picture of what the relationship between me and Steven should be and like how that how that should break down. I was looking at my OmniFocus and I had so many projects in it, like probably 
50 or 40 projects. And so I had like, oh, like here's like a hundred next actions I should be taking. Mm-hmm. And it was like, in reality, I'm not really doing most of these projects. They're just like stressors that I have sort of like ostensibly committed to, or like at least in my head, like kind of like, oh, that's a good idea. We should do that. And it was just like this really overwhelming mass of like a bunch of like decent ideas. And I was like, yeah, these are all pretty good. If I could manage to do all of these, you know, in a reasonable time frame, that'd be cool. But instead, it was just like, well, it's going to take me forever to do these. And like, which of these are actually the most important things? And also beyond that, not just like what's most important, but like, what do I actually want to do? The point was to have a good company and nice lives. And so if I'm just always picking like, oh, what's best for Tuple today and like not considering my own happiness, that's just, that's no good. And I think I've gone down that road a bit too far. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing to recognize. And it's funny how those little, like the, the unhealthy kinds of backlogs like emerge in different places, backlogs, right? Exactly. Like, <laughs> that's, that sounds a lot like the, like the bad kind of backlog, what you're describing there in. Yes. In right. Focus. Yeah. Particularly for me where like I find backlogs kind of like overwhelming and they make me less productive. I think it's like this, I had like created myself a giant to do backlog. And I was like, wait a minute, I did this. This is no good. Mm-hmm. Steve and I like just like talked through this for like a couple hours yesterday, just trying to like figure out like, you know, what was wrong and how to make it better and how to improve it. Then we spent some time in the afternoon just dropping a ton of projects. I just like went through my list. I was like, okay, like, yep, that's a good idea. I'm not going to do it in the next whatever. So just let's drop it. And I sort of, I'm taking the approach with my projects now that I sort of think makes sense for like backlogs in general, which is actually my philosophy there, which is like, if a thing is important, it will probably come up again. Like it will be very hard to forget the important stuff. And I have a couple lists of like sort of generic task buckets of like, here are some, some interesting product improvements that we might make. And like, that's like Mark does on hold. So it's not in my face and like, yeah, put stuff on ice for a bit, but not too much. <laughs> so yeah. it's not too bad to have like some of that. So I, ha- I still have some of that kicking around and that's like, okay, if I'm looking for inspiration, like what, what's a good little product improvement we could ship in a week or two like that. I still have a good list for those, but I trimmed down the project list a lot. Now there's more like six or seven projects total. It's much more manageable and, and I'm getting a bit more aggressive about saying, like the goal is for me to work on things that make that I'm really good at and make me happy and that tuple needs. And so like product work is like falls like right in that, that that's the kind of the best answer to that. Improving the product. That's what I really enjoy talking to customers, figuring out what to build next, come up with a good solution for something, get it implemented and shipped. And that feels really like very high leverage for me. And then things like hiring, like we're looking for a Linux developer. I have been taking the the lead on that because it's a thing that like needs to happen. I've now just like pushed that much more onto Steven's plate where it's like, this is a, this is a thing that like the office of the CEO should do, but I don't want to do it. You should do it. Yeah. Got that dopamine hit of uh, delegating a task. Oh, yeah. It's so good. <laughs> it is. It is really good. Yeah. It felt, it felt very uh, refreshing yesterday just like to get rid of stuff and then like be like okay but there are a few important things here that need to keep happening but that doesn't mean i have to do them yeah yeah so that's yeah that's nice it was a good i mean it's been you know 12 hours but so far i would say my mental state is better <laughs> time well spent yeah yeah also in the kind of like philosophical things i've been thinking about 
things to do that I, I enjoy. And I realized I haven't really been teaching anymore. I used to get a lot of joy out of like when I was programming out of learning a thing and then like teaching it. So I would like get better at some code thing, come up with a conference talk, give it a half a dozen times, maybe write a blog post on it. And then I was like working on Upcase, which was like a lot of teaching. I feel like I used to create a lot of useful educational content out there. Something has changed since I've moved over to doing building a company where I don't want to be fully transparent about everything. Like some of the things I'm struggling with and working on are like just like not great fodder for blasting out to the internet. So I have these hesitations. One is like privacy and then one is sort of like applicability, I guess. Like I felt like when I was learning a cool like code concept, there were a lot of people that could benefit from that knowledge. Uh, But with like the company stuff, it feels like, okay, if you're running a 10-person SaaS company, which is just like, uh, how many people are running 10-person SaaS companies? That was part of the feedback we got from when we were sort of figuring out, you know, what does the next year for this podcast look like? Because we're both kind of sharing lessons learned, but we did get some feedback that like the stage that we're at is a, is becoming less applicable to a lot of our audience, you know, because it's just there are just fewer and fewer people who are at this kind of stage of their businesses, I guess. So, yeah, it's tricky. Right. So I think the audience is smaller. Now, that's that's not necessarily a bad thing because like there's power in niches as always where it's like, OK, so for the people who are actually relevant audience, things that we would teach are probably extra valuable because it's, it's not beginner content anymore. But I simultaneously feel a sense of not being sure, I guess. Like there would be times where I would like with programming stuff, I had so much experience and like was learning from such experienced people that I would feel pretty confident like recommending things or talking about the pros and cons of things. But I feel like my experience with Tuple feels unique. And so it's like I'm not convinced these things I'm learning are applicable to other people. I'm not sure I'm even doing the right thing here. Like we had success with X, but like, does that mean it was like because of X? Or is it despite X? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't have like enough reps here to feel like, oh, here's some, here's advice. It's a different type of problem space than programming, which is very mathematical sort of and logical and like, and yeah, I guess there are, there are kind of more artistic sides to it, like how to craft good code that's readable and like, that's a little bit less scientific, but still like. I feel like best practices emerge easier in like a problem space like programming as opposed to company building where it's it's really hard to know what's yeah what's what generalizes well. Yeah. And I think you get more at bats with code. Like especially when I was like a as a, working as a consultant at Thoughtbot, I would literally like work on totally different apps every few months. And so we get to try new techniques or new approaches or or like take inherit code bases and see what I liked and didn't like. Right. You're, you have an N of one with tuple. You're not building a bunch of tuples at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this just longitudinal yeah. study of some stuff. If I'm thinking like, hey, what code techniques lead to maintainable apps? There are fewer external factors there. Where it's like, yes, the team matters. It's kind of like, you know, the team and the code. And those are kind of the main things that like affect the outcomes. But with the company, it's like we have these external, like a lot of external factors how much of tuple success is due to the fact that like the work from home audience, you know, went from 10% to 90%, a big chunk for sure. Um, so like, it, it feels like it's hard for me to just be like, Oh, I've learned these generalizable pieces of advice that you probably want to adapt or like are, are worth sharing. Yeah. 
And probably a lot of what happens in our respective businesses is like kind of a result of something that we didn't really have much control over in the first place. Or maybe we did. Like, I think you benefited a lot from your extensive audience in the programming space that you built up over a decade of going to conferences and all this stuff. (laughs) And so that was like sufficient kindling to get enough people interested and aware. And then they started to spread it. Word of mouth started to take on. But like, yeah, how do you teach that? I mean, that's not... It's not necessarily directly teachable, you know? Right. It doesn't mean that's a great strategy for everybody. Even if it is a great strategy, it's like, well, thanks, I guess. I think these factors are partly why AOP has kind of persisted for me. And it's like been like my default outlet for this is because we're talking about what's what we're doing and what's happening. And it's not like a, here is Ben and Derek's course on building a SaaS app. It's just sharing I think that might be kind of like the the strategy that I want to take if I choose to do more of this. If because I'm kind of jonesing for just like creating more things and like being more helpful, taking the stance of like I don't know if these are the things that will work for you, and with you know consider the fact that I am biased and you know my conclusions are probably flawed and all that. But here are the challenges we had, and here are the things we did, and they seem good. So I think just sort of a, a touch of humility and more of an experience report than a prescriptive thing is probably the right strategy. Yeah, I I agree. And I think this is something that I want to continue to get even better at is like being introspective about what inputs went into solving a particular problem and how did I approach problem solving? You know, a, a lot of decisions are just kind of made based off of gut or like, I don't know, it kind of felt like doing this. So I did it and then it worked out. But there are a lot of things that like we're always trying to be more systematic about on like strategizing about something and then making a plan and then executing that plan. So I think the more of that kind of stuff that we can share about how we solve, how we've approached problem solving is that, that kind of thing I think is really helpful to hear people, other people's problem solving methodology, because that kind of stuff is just, you know, the next time someone else is who has listened is working on a problem. They might, they might glean some insights about how to approach problem solving. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I also have this conflict too of my role has changed and but my audience is kind of the same or like my audience is kind of I think it's like slowly shifting so it's like there's like a lot of people that are developers and so in my audience and so it used to be that I would be like you know here are some vim tips and like that just like that just worked well that resonated and now it's like here's how to conduct reference checks right <laughs> right um, yeah and that resonates less well and like in the early days when we we're just getting started, like I think if you're a developer and you have aspirations for starting a SaaS company or some sort of product, you can sort of take inspiration from how do you get your first 10 customers? Uh, like that sort of thing. But now it's like, how do you work well with the chief of staff? It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Less, less applicable. I sort of want to just embrace like, okay, yeah, like the stuff I can speak with some authority about now is not relevant to most developers. And I'm just going to embrace that and, and go, go forward. But then part of the reason I want to do this is, you know, because it helps attract people to the tuple verse. And so it's useful if the content I'm making and the thing I'm teaching is useful to developers. So it's, it's kind of tricky. Yeah. How are you thinking about AOP as like a marketing channel for tuple? Like, is it, are you still thinking of it that way? Overall, yes. Yes, is the short answer. Like we're trying to hire a head of marketing and I was looking at some project that I had outlined that was AOP related. 
And Stephen was like, is this a head of marketing thing? And I was like, I guess it actually is. This is a thing that Tuple head of marketing could do for the podcast because the podcast supports Tuple marketing efforts. But at the same time, it's like, it's, it's also like our show. If I left Tuple, I would expect to continue to do our product. It's not the Tuple podcast. So I don't know. Makes sense. So yeah, no, no clear answers, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same for me. I, I kind of think of it as like, I think a lot of people do hear about Savvy Cal through the podcast. And I think we have quite a bit of like my market overlap with listenership, at least enough for it to be kind of an interesting you know, channel in its own right. But also like, yeah, I don't fully think of it as like, I guess that's probably one of the best types of marketing channels is one that's not just like directly like pushing the product all the time. It's just, just kind of late, latent exposure. So I guess in that sense, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good one still. Yes. I would agree with that. I think there's a lot of power in being the first option someone thinks of when they, when they eventually have the problem that you solve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's kind of, I've heard that explicitly from people that like, you know, I've been listening to AOP for a while and then finally, you know, like need to do some remote pairing. So I got a chance to test out Duple. Yeah, right. And like we've incepted into their brain already. So like the first thing they think of is our products. Yeah. (laughs) At least get like the first crack at it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So. hmm. (laughs) Marketing. So what's going on with you? Uh, Yeah. So it was nice to, to get away to recharge a bit. I kind of managed to kind of downshift out of work mode, I feel like. So I, that's always a win if I'm able to like <laughs> disconnect sufficiently to, to just think about other things like learning how to s- skate ski as opposed to thinking about my business all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a win. Like it took a couple of days. I was up at a cabin that I've been to before and there's no, there's no like Wi-Fi there, but I can, I can get cell service or cellular internet through my, if I tethered in my phone. So I, I'm like still sort of connected, but, but really like it's kind of a, a pain to do that intentionally. So tried to stay off, stay off the internet as much as possible. And I didn't really want to use this as like, um, I, I want to plan to do a little bit of thinking about next year for the business, but I didn't want it to become like a business retreat. I really just wanted like rest time and I think it served that purpose well. So I'm pretty pretty pleased with that did you get the hang of skate skiing (laughs) so it took a while a couple of days i wanted to get a lesson like with a real teacher before i went up there but it just didn't work out with the schedule so i went with a friend up north and he had he learned last year so he's now like quite proficient and he remembered like some of the things he learned from his lessons so he was able to sort of teach me yeah i was sort of just slogged through it and i will say it's the learning curve was was pretty steep for me. Like I didn't really grow up skiing at all. Like even though I was in California, like downhill skiing was pretty big there and I just didn't, just didn't do it. So like I didn't have the, the kind of, um, baked in, you know, muscle memory from childhood type of stuff going on. But like on about day three of going out, it finally, something finally clicked and I like started to feel more stable. That kind of ties in with one of my higher level topics I wanted to touch on today, actually. So I could segue there. Thinking about 2022, I haven't really set too many specific goals, but I think one kind of overarching theme I want to think about is trying to more fully embrace a growth mindset. Because I think I've recognized something, like one of the traps that I will sometimes fall into is like wanting to just lean on 
things that I already know or stick in my comfort zone, you know, or things that come naturally to me. And I think this is something that I like didn't fully develop this muscle when I was like a kid in school because school came sort of naturally to me. Like I, I was one that didn't have to study as much as some of my other classmates because like I was just sort of good at doing school. But I think that sometimes rears its head in when I encounter like a challenge that actually requires a lot of effort and doesn't necessarily come naturally, then I get frustrated pretty quickly. And that's something I want to try to root out a bit. And I think one of my steps is going to be reading like the, the manifesto on mindset stuff by Carol Dweck. I think it's called Mindset. She has a book talking about like the growth versus fixed mindset. And I think one of the things you can do to, to kind of train this muscle is like continue taking on new challenges. So that's why when I went through the experience of learning skate skiing, or I'm still in the process of it, but like got over that first hurdle where like I felt like I was on the brink of wanting to give up and just say, you know what, this is just not for me. Like I'm just not good at this. And then pushing through and persisting and then like making it to the other side. It's like, oh yeah, this feels really good. And this is actually a a fulfilling way to approach challenges is to just is to focus more on the, you know, well, this is a new thing. It's not I'm not failing because I'm just not naturally good at it. Most things people are not naturally automatically good at. You have to put in effort to learn them. And so I think I want to keep doing keep doing more of that and working on ways to like train myself to to kind of more fully embrace a growth mindset. Are there like work specific things that you've shied away from? For sure. I think I hesitate to want to talk to customers a lot, I think, because like if I'm in a really good headspace, then I'm willing to accept, you know, all the negative and positive feedback that will come with that. But if I'm in a pretty, if my mindset is not in a good spot, then I think the fear of like getting a bunch of negative feedback or someone just telling me my product sucks is something that I will just kind of steer away from and instead fall back on my own, like my own inclinations about what what we should prioritize or how we should build something. So I think that's one big, big blind spot is like trying to get even better at like taking in all the, the full spectrum of feedback, negative and positive and, and learning from that. I think also recognizing that, you know, if I get a slew of negative feedback or something, then I can sometimes start to feel like, well, the product is just inherently flawed. And it's like, no, it's not like a product <laughs> is, it can be changed. It's mutable. <laughs> you know, yeah. same applies to me as a, as a human, just because I don't have a particular skill doesn't mean that, you know, I'm mutable. I can learn new skills. And similarly, my product is under constant like iteration. And that's, that's the good part about having a, you know, a software product where you can actually keep, keep reinventing it. I'm not, I didn't just ship an iteration and now it's like shipped physically into people's hands. And if it's messed up, it's messed up. Like we can keep changing it. So trying not to fall into like negative self-talk is sort of what can sometimes happen if I'm like, oh, the product is just not, it's just not where it needs to be. And it's like, well, of course it's not, it's never perfect, but you can keep, you can keep growing. So yes, this resonates a lot. This is, this is a thing I do when I'm like kind of catastrophizing, like something will be bad. Some sort of negative thing will be the case. And I slip into this mode of thinking, well, like, well, this will always be the case. And so this is going to be so terrible. And like, I, I've had that exact thing around product things where it's like, someone's really upset with it. It's not performing well for them. It's, it's like a bad experience. And I'm like, oh my God, like, 
what's going to happen when this is true for all the customers. Like they're like, this will always be true. And we can't build a good business if this is always true. As opposed to being like, well, yeah, there's, there's things to do. We got to fix this. But we can. And we fixed a million things. Yep. Yeah. I know, I know the struggle. Yeah. And it's kind of natural to, to fall back on like existing... Like if I've had strong opinions about how something should be, and then I've like committed to that and baked that into the product, sometimes those are the hardest ones to like to challenge. I feel pretty convinced that like SavvyCal is an optimal scheduling interface with the calendar, for example. But this is one that has come up multiple times. Like for for some specific use cases, I think people feel like at times the the interface is overwhelming. Too many options all at one time. And this has been a tricky problem for me to embrace because it's like, well, I'm sort of committed to this way, th- this way of presenting the interface, but I've gradually been, been loosening my grip on that and trying to like, just, you know, take a step back and think more broadly, like how can we, how can we both retain the existing benefits of it, but also like tackle this perception that some people have that like, oh, it just feels like too confusing or too many options all at once. Like, I think it's a it's a solvable problem. It's hard. It's a hard problem to solve, but that's not a reason to to shy away from it or, you know, just because I think there's a lot of good elements to the existing interface doesn't mean that like it can't be made even better if we just work on the problem. So, mm-hmm. okay. yeah, that's that's a good point about like the the more fundamental a thing is in t- in your app, the more it's going to be hard to hear bad feedback about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because when I hear that, I'm like, well, then shoot, then the, the whole product is crap. Like the whole thing's bad. If this is bad, then the whole thing's bad. And it's like, no, that's not actually true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that feels like the kind of thing that leads to ossification over time. Like that's, I feel like that's like how, like how you get competed with really well is someone comes along that, that like takes a different approach or throws out one of your assumptions and so they're not constrained by that, that like the huge, like massive code basically that you've written that, that supports this, this model or the, or the, the pricing that you've chosen or, or, or something like that. Being willing to able and willing to change core things, I think is pretty, pretty key to stay. I mean, you got, you got to keep, keep reinventing it. Yeah, exactly. And you're going to talk to users more. Yeah. I think I'm going to try to talk to users more and just be more open. Like I'm actually getting quite a bit of, feedback all the time. And so I think, yeah, part of it is more taking more deliberate action to talk to customers more. And I'm not sure what that looks like, like systematically, like if I'm allocating a specific amount of time per month or per week or biweekly or whatever, like I still have to figure that out. But then also like, yeah, just, just being more open and willing to receive negative constructive feedback um, that's coming in kind of all the time and, and trying to internalize that. What are you going to stop doing that's going to make space for you to talk to users more regularly? <laughs> well, it's safe to announce that I have hired an engineer who will be starting tentatively beginning of February. So that is going to be kind of a game changer. Um, Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. It's someone that I'm really excited to work with. And I think it's going to be fun to have have more hands, you know, helping out to shape SavvyCal. Full-time? Full-time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Contract W two, W two full time W two. Oh, wow, yep. okay, the whole enchilada. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited about like you know having help on that side, but also really excited about what this will eventually free me up to uh, to to do for the business. You know, like to be able to kind of step back from being so in the weeds all the time in product. Like I love, I'm still going to own product, you know, and and own direction and stuff. But like 
having help on the implementation side, I think will just, just free me up to, uh, to do a lot more things to work quote unquote on the business as they say. Um, totally. That's awesome. So that's a, that's yeah. a huge milestone. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it feels good to finally have that. A one man show for a while, more or less. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. How do you feel about your new role as manager? I'm excited for it, honestly. Like I have really good memories from kind of this stage at Drip that that we had, you know, when we we're just a kind of a small team, and it's really pretty easy to be cohesive if you've hired carefully and and made sure that you know people are easy to work with and easy to get along with and good communicators and all those like things you want in your in your team. So far, like everyone that I'm working with right now is just a pl- absolute pleasure to work with, and I know this new addition will be as well. So like I'm pretty excited, you know, to to kind of be giving a little bit more thought to like casting a vision for, for Savvy Cal as a company and, and inspiring my team to capture that same vision. Like all that kind of stuff really excites me. Are they remote? This person is in the Twin Cities area, so we will get to meet up periodically. And I think it's, it's his desire to like about once a week meet up and, and then the rest of the time will probably be um, just from our respective remote locations. So that I'm also really excited about that because that's that's something we had at the early days of Drip too, or we could just stand in front of a whiteboard and work on a problem, or just sit next to each other and pair, or whatever, you know. And like it's just oh, it's so nice um, to have kind of that that human element of face to face. So that's awesome, man. Excited for you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Your comment about facing negative feedback reminded me. Uh, something that happened that I forgot to talk about, which is mm. uh, someone posted Tuple to Hacker News. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I was like, oh, God. And like we, got, <laughs> we were on the front page for a while. We got kind of a lot of comments. I think it's like 100 comments or something. And I was kind of bracing for, you know, the Hacker News experience. And, you know, there were some people annoyed by various things. But overwhelmingly, the feedback was really positive. It was super nice. And like the top voted comment and its child were both like, I have nothing but awesome things to say about this app. It's really great. Lots and lots of positive feedback. I was I was shocked at how like for for a hacker news thread, it was basically like a, a slam dunk. Wow. Yeah. And that's that's a very hard community to please. So congrats. Exactly. <laughs> These are people not afraid to bitch about things. Yeah. Yeah. So there was kind of like, you know, one person was mad. It was Mac only. Or like, no, no, we're working on it. Like somebody else was mad. It cost how much it cost. Right. Um, or cost anything at all, probably. Co- <laughs> <laughs> Why is yeah. this not open source, man? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there was, you know, some nits about like our demo video or things like that. But overwhelmingly, like the people that had used the product were saying really nice things about the product. Which is, yeah, I felt so good. We talked about this a million times, but it's just like an eternal struggle for me to have like a, a an accurate picture of Tuple as a as a thing, because my my mind goes to the negatives all the time. Yeah, yep. So we didn't like you know ask our customers to comment or you know share it with a friendly group or anything like that. That was like, it was just literally the organic response of people that happened to see it on Hacker News to see that much positivity. It was like okay, I think I think it's pretty good actually. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can have a little bit of a shortage of that type of feedback. I think it's just by nature. Like when someone writes into support, a lot of times they're just, they have a problem with something. So like we're biased, over biased towards the negative. So those opportunities to get really positive feedback is, is um, super valuable. This is something that I also experienced a little bit. I did like a, 
I haven't done this with too many features, but I did like an early access for the Stripe integration that we built. And so I like shared it with a group of people who we'd been collecting email addresses through a reform for like people who were interested in it. So I kind of built a spreadsheet and kind of worked through that, inviting people to, to try it out directly and got some good constructive feedback. And then also some, a couple people just saying like, this was stellar. Like it, it checks every box that I wanted worked exactly how I expected. And like hearing that kind of feedback, this process invited like both the things to fix and also what works well type of feedback. That was a very helpful thing to hear, you know, and not, not just the problems. So, yeah. So it could be that like overall opening yourself to more customer feedback is going to be a very positive experience. Yeah, I think so. I think it will be honestly. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Should we wrap it? Yeah. I think we can wrap it. Yeah. Notes of the show. Notes of the show can be found at artorproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya. <laughs>